Well, we're starting a new series today, and if you've uh, got your bulletin, I encourage you to take it out. Uh, Doing Life Together is what I've titled this uh, series. And, uh, you know, if you're here at the vineyard, you're going to know that I move through different uh, books of the Bible. I move through different themes. Uh, Sometimes we uh, address issues which, uh, you know, don't impact everybody. Uh, And other times we address issues which seem to uh, impact people either directly or indirectly. And uh, today I uh, want to uh, say that this topic is a little touchy. Uh, It wouldn't be the sort of topic I'd bring up to say, you know, this is going to be just such an inspirational uh, Sunday. Uh, This is more in the category of uh, my life hurts and it needs some help. It would be in that category. And uh, you could uh, broadly uh, say that the series is going to be revolving around uh, marriage or around relationships, uh, not necessarily marriage specifically, but uh, as it impacts us. uh, And today I want to look at uh, divorce. I want to particularly look at uh, how divorce impacts children. And uh, this, only, uh, this isn't only for people that are children now or teenagers now. Uh, this would greatly impact uh, you if you're an adult and uh, your parents divorced. Uh, it certainly is a topic or a uh, predicament which we find is prevalent in society. Uh, it's not like it's distant. We either are a child of divorce or our parents are going through a divorce or you know somebody that's uh, parents are going through a divorce or you know, is a child in a situation where there's divorce uh, or you've been impacted. It's either your friends, your family, your cousin, your niece. Uh, and we have a role to play, whether it's impacting us directly or uh, indirectly. And I found a very uh, helpful uh, study that was done. Uh, It's called The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce. And this is uh, one of those studies which I always just enjoy these uh, studies that are uh, longevity studies. In other words, it's a study which has been done over a period of time. In this particular case, Uh, This study was done over a 25-year period of time. Uh, It's done out of the the University of California, Berkeley, by Judith uh, Wallerstein and uh, Julia Lewis. And uh, what they did is uh, they interviewed a whole bunch of uh, young kids, teenagers, late teens, that their parents were going through a divorce. And then they followed them for 25 years. And uh, they were asking a whole series of questions at regular intervals, uh, focus questions, basically like, what was the ramification of, those, of that divorce? How did it impact you? Uh, how did it help you with your, or impact you in your work, in your studying, in your finances, in your careers? Uh, and the results are actually quite surprising. And uh, I am a a child of divorce. Uh, My parents divorced when I was five. And uh, I was astonished to think, okay, here I am in a different culture, a different continent. And uh, many of the findings here 
I'm saying I relate to this. I totally relate to this. And I'm saying I'm relating to this now, today, as an adult. And then I look back and I see the patterns that my life went through. I said, oh my gosh, I, I would never have put that together, that this was an impact of divorce. Uh, the upside is uh, it helps us understand why we behave the way we do. Uh, it also equips us to uh, prevent uh, sometimes the negative outcomes when we uh, are aware that, hey, these are things which we have a predisposition towards. We, we're going to be vulnerable in these areas. And so I, I wanted to share some of that, uh, some of the study in, with you in, in some sort of detail because I, I thought it was, was helpful. And again, this was a fairly large study. It was 131 uh, children. And then they also did a control study. And in the control study, well, a separate group. In the, in the separate group were kids that uh, parents didn't get divorced, and they're contrasting and comparing. But uh, obviously these people did an excellent job of this because they didn't just take a random sample. They took kids from the same schools as the children that they were focusing on that had a divorce. So comparable neighborhoods, comparable uh, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds, and they uh, asked both sets, okay, what, what was the difference? How did this work? And so here's some of the findings. Uh, the early stages, uh, this is what the children experienced and what they reported. Uh, the children of every age struggled with be bewildering, demanding adjustments in their contact with both parents. So the parents get divorced. Uh, as uh, young kids, they now bewildered as to, okay, how does we relate to our parents? And there was another su surprising thing. The kids always felt it was uh, unexpected, the divorce, and sudden. And uh, now all of a sudden they feel like, okay, they, they, they have to rapidly adjust to a whole different uh, you know, living situation. Uh, all the kids experienced high anxiety. I mean, you know, not like when you hear it, it's like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Uh, high anxiety. Out of the experience, and I'm reading, uh, of the parental breakup, children of all ages reached a conclusion that terrified them. Personal relationships are unreliable, and even the closest family relationships cannot be expected to hold firm. And then uh, the study went on and said less than 10% of the children had parents who established stable, lasting second marriages in which the children felt fully welcome and included. The, the, the frequent disparity in post-divorce adjustments of their parents was also a source of deep distress to the children well into adulthood. Uh, so, you know, here you have you know, the children reporting, okay, if a parents got remarried and uh, that second marriage, only 10% was saying that was, you know, a success. Now, you know, there's a myth that uh, really needs to be addressed here with the parents that are in, a, you know, that are thinking about divorce. And the myth uh, goes this way. Uh, the myth says, you know, we're really fighting a lot uh, we're struggling, 
uh, it's really ugly. The, the kids are obviously aware of the fact that we uh, hate each other and, and we're yelling at each other and we, there's tension in the house. And uh, it would be way better for the kids if we just like split. And uh, if the kids can then just not experience that uh, tension and uh, we can start our lives again, uh, start over again, and we can still love our kids and the kids would just not experience that. And that's proven to be just like a, a complete myth uh, that's good for the parents, but it's disastrous for the child. So some of the other issues that kids are battling with, uh, loneliness and a fear of abandonment. Uh, so uh, this is, happens immediately and it comes up again and again later on where there's just a sense of uh, I'm just feeling alone uh, or feeling alone and feeling angry and not knowing how to uh, express that. And, you know, we'd say, well, the kid's acting up or it's having difficulty at school, but it's helpful when you know specifically what the kid is uh, dealing with as opposed to the way should, the kid's acting out. If they're dealing with loneliness uh, and, you know, a sense of anger, it's helpful if they can uh, process that or be loved. Another uh, pretty surprising uh, outcome is memory fragments. Uh, so in this particular example, uh, these folks doing this study were saying they found that uh, people, uh, as they got into adulthood, started remembering part of their parents' breakup, and uh, they didn't understand at all. They were just like pieces that they, would, that they uh, could recall. So uh, one example was a 30-year-old suffered uh, with severe nightmares that, that occurred twice weekly, and recapitulated a particularly violent scene in which her father burst into the home with a gun and attempted to shoot her mother, but was arrested just in time. When told of the dream, her mother explained it had happened just that way, and the girl was four. You know, so she's saying, well, I don't remember it. I don't remember it happening. I don't remember the incident. She's just having nightmares. She's having dreams. So these uh, memory fragments would start, you know, reoccurring in people's lives at the most inopportune times. Uh, just when people are trying to overcome issues, they find that they're battling. Um, another case, another example was another person now in their 30s uh, recalls her strongest memory of her parents' divorce when she was 11 years old, was her father was crying as he was walking slowly down the flower-bordered path away from the family home after her mom had thrown him out because of his adultery. And this memory just flashed before her eyes whenever she com contemplated leaving her alcoholic boyfriend. Okay, so here's the pattern. Uh, she's living with a loser. She knows like her boyfriend's a loser. Uh, she hasn't gotten married. Now, this is not a Christian study. This is a study in culture uh, broadly. And she's saying, I can't even kick this bum out, and I'm not like committed to him. Because every time I try to, I just have this picture of, you know, my mother kicking my father out. So somebody gets trapped in uh, these relationships. 
And she says, I could never do to another human being what my mother did to my father. And then in uh, childhood, uh, it says this, by the 25-year mark, the majority had decided not to have children. After they uh, gave the reason for, for this, it says, nothing in my childhood prepared me for parenting. I, I don't want to have children. Uh, I, I looked at my uh, parents, and uh, I, I, I don't want to get married. I don't want to have children. Uh, uh, the other upshot of what was happening here is some kids, uh, now they it, uh, teenagers when their parents got divorced, uh, they found that they had to take over some of the household chores. Uh, but there was an increased demand on what they had to do versus just before they got divorced. And there was sort of a, a, an expectation that they would become adults before their time. And part of the price that they paid for that was less uh, sport, less time for hobbies, less time for goofing off, and less parental help in getting them into sports and so they take on this caregiver role. And uh, then again, you'd think, okay, well, uh, maybe they just mature a little faster. Maybe there's an upside. But the surprising uh, outcome of this was that later on, uh, they would marry somebody who needed to be taken care of. And typically, that person was somebody in huge need. And now uh, here they have this overly, uh, I mean, it's like they need to protect somebody, and they seek people out that are like incapable of looking after themselves. And then they repeat this whole role again. And then they get really frustrated because the person that they're living with or married to uh, is unable to, you know, be the, the person that they should be in, in their marriage. And then when it came to uh, kids that were adolescent when their parents were divorced, uh, the overall uh, sense here was less pr protection. And the statistics here, I don't think are that uh, surprising, uh, but in one sense, the detail actually is pretty shocking. It says one in five of the girls had, had her first sexual experience before age 14. Only half were sexually active, oh no, over half were sexually active with multiple partners during high school. The girls told us that they often frequented bars uh, where pickups were common. They were driven to this by the wish to be held by a man and to be sought after. Sex itself was not their goal, but rather the price they were willing to pay for attention. Several said that they would have sex only if they were drunk or high on drugs. And then precautions were rarely taken. Although... Uh, we neglected to tally the incident. Several of the high school girls reportedly uh, had multiple abortions. You know, I, I mean, you can see the pain and the devastation uh, that's being caused here. And, you know, people, we can identify this. And then when it comes to higher education, I mean, this was just an absolutely calamitous drop-off. The upshot here was when it came to higher education, those kids that came out of divorced homes, their parents' financial support was minimal at best. Uh, 
Only 30% of the children of divorce received full or consistent partial support from their parents throughout college, compared with 90% of the comparison group. I mean, it's just dramatic. Uh, so this, of course, now sets the next step in life. Uh, the, the kids that didn't go to college have less education than their parents received. And uh, just only above half achieved their bachelor's degree compared with 90% of their former classmates, schoolmates. I mean, so just a, a big difference. And then when it came to the workplace, there's some sort of good news for, for once. Uh, the less than 40, 50% that actually made it through college uh, uh, actually excelled or did really well in the workplace. They were able to handle the stresses and the changes uh, that the workplace demanded. Uh, but of course, the other you know, majority battled in the workplace because they were less than educated. And then when it came to being adults, uh, they found that uh, the central finding of the study is that parental divorce impacts detrimentally the capacity to love and to be loved within a lasting, committed relationship. Now, uh, I, I think this is an area where it's like, this is really helpful. Uh, you know, this is really helpful to understand ourselves and to understand uh, people that are, are dealing with this. It says, in addition to overcoming their fear of failure, they have a great deal to learn about the give and take of living with another person and how to deal with their differences and how to resolve conflict. And then, you know, the sad thing is, it says one-third of the men and women openly reported being pessimistic about marriage and wanted to avoid marriage at all. They said, if you don't marry, then you won't get divorced. That was their mantra. Uh, only a few were outright cynical. The majority were eager, even desperate, for a lasting relationship and fearful that they would never achieve it. Uh, and there's the sort of underlying uh, toe of woe, which is, I'd love to get married, but I'm sure that I jinx it. You know, so there's a struggle. I want to be loved. I want to be included. But if I am, it's going to be a disaster. Even being in love and living for years in a reasonably harmonious relationship did not mute their fear of commitment. One man told us, we've been living together for four years. She brought love and laughter into my life. I can't imagine being without without her, with anybody else. But every time she brings up marriage, I feel this great sadness welling up inside of me and just refuses to make the commitment. And then, this is tragic. Almost universally, they experienced what they called the fear of the second shoe dropping. They were convinced if they were, that they went to bed happy, the source of their happiness whether a great marriage or a beloved child, would be gone in the morning. What is so devastating about this foreboding, they explained, is that the happier one feels, the greater the threat of a sudden loss becomes. Wow. 
you know, so even when they have joy, you're living with, oh no, this is too good to be true. So, uh, you know, as as we've looked at uh, divorce and we looked at the laws in the country and we said, okay, is uh, liberalizing divorce, is, is that helpful or is it detrimental? Uh, and uh, here we, like California, where the study was done, uh, you know, the promise was, if we make divorce easier, there'll be less hostility and, and it'll just be better all around. And the outcome is the exact opposite. It seems like uh, there's a good case to be made, not so much focusing on the parents, but fa focusing on the child. Uh, this 25-year study points to divorce not as an acute stress from which the child recovers, but a, la a life-transforming experience for the child. You know, it, it's not like, okay, if we get divorced, it'll be traumatic for the child for a year or two, but then they'll adjust and it'll work out great. No, we're saying your whole adult life, you're you dealing and processing and uh, trying to figure this out. Uh, another surprising finding uh, was this, and, and, uh, and I'm looking back at my own life, and I'm saying, I, I didn't realize I had this pattern, but it's exactly what I did. Uh, our findings suggest that where children of intact homes often seek uh, continuation with their parents, uh, those who were divorced seek to avoid their parents. And there was an uh, unconscious, or sometimes conscious, uh, I'm going to just, you know, not be near mom and dad. And it's like, wow, uh, it, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow. Anyway, uh, I do think there's something as you maybe identify your own life in some of this, you know, saying, okay, I, I see that. I, I see the ramifications of that. Uh, what does this mean to us? And I want to look at uh, what does the Bible say to this story? What does the Bible say specifically in the area of divorce, uh, in the area of, of marriage? But I, I'm looking here at the impact of divorce. And, you know, when we look at church culture, it's, it's a confusing uh, array of what we're hearing. This is not... Uh, you know, how does the church respond to divorce? Uh, when should somebody get a divorce? Should you get a divorce? Uh, how does the church respond when somebody's been divorced? Uh, what help does the church offer to somebody that's divorced? How are you received if you've been divorced? Uh, it, it, it's anything but, uh, you know, a unifying experience. It's confusing. Uh, it's something which really, okay, how do we here think about divorce? Uh, it, it's It's complex. Uh, at the least, which is why you've never heard a sermon on it, because who wants to preach on this stuff? It's, you know, it's difficult. But I, I just think as we, you know, absorb the New Testament, the whole counsel of God, uh, you don't have to dwell in this area for weeks and months at a time, but I think it's helpful for us to get a glimpse of what is God's plan and, and how do we respond to this. And I've had a a tremendous amount of help here from one of my colleagues, uh, Rich Nathan from the Columbus Vineyard, 
who did a sermon uh, on, a, on a similar topic, similar title. I've also had tremendous insight from uh, Timothy Keller in this book, The Meaning of Marriage, and I'd highly recommend it. Uh, if you want a good book on, on marriage, and uh, I think uh, Tim did a, a series that preached on this for Tim's uh, tends to get on the topic and just stay on it. I think it was several months. I mean, it might have been like three months. He's, he's just preaching on, you know, uh, this one little section out of Ephesians chapter 5 on marriage. Just each word, you know, just analyzing it and the statistics behind it. But it's extremely uh, well-written and helpful if that's uh, of interest to you. So what am I trying to get out of the sermon for you? Uh, I'm, I, I'm just saying if you're a child of divorce, uh, there's hope. And uh, I think sometimes just identifying why you feel the way you feel and uh, having an understanding of what you're going through uh, is helpful. And uh, also knowing that the outcome doesn't have to be negative. Uh, there is help and there are, if you know, uh, you know that you're uh, tending to do a certain or behave a certain way or respond a certain way, you, uh, it's helpful to know, hey, wait a minute, this is a negative pattern. I need to work extra hard at uh, not behaving or responding that particular way. Uh, I would also say uh, another purpose of my sermon today is if you're thinking of getting divorced, if you're in a bad marital situation, that generally speaking, I would seriously encourage you not to get divorced. And I... I want to conclude today, not now, but when I get there, uh, with uh, another study that was done. And that study uh, analyzed a whole bunch of people that said, okay, my marriage, I would self-describe as being totally hopeless. Uh, but it had some amazing turnaround, and now we would say we have a good marriage. If not good, great. And so that study looked at, okay, what was going on there and how did that positive outcome come about? Uh, but what I am saying up front is, generally speaking, getting divorced is a real issue. And the focus isn't you. It's your kids. Uh, I think the focus for the longest time has been in the wrong place. It's like, what gives me happiness or what gives you happiness? Uh, the question hasn't been seriously asked, what gives your kids happiness? And let me tell you, in most cases, your kids couldn't care less if you're happy. Your kids care, are you at my football game? Are you at the dinner table? Not, are you happy? Now, if you're worried about your kids, you, you focus on, are they going to be happy? And, uh, well, let me just pray. Jesus, I just ask, as we look at Scripture, as we uh, look at your Word, uh, knowing that I'm, I'm stepping in an area which is, uh, is fraught with uh, opinions and uh, different viewpoints. I, I just pray, Lord, for that you would give us hope and clarity and a sense of uh, the fact that you are a solid foundation, that we can trust you with our lives, that you give us hope and you give us help uh, for all circumstances, and that you are a God of love and of blessing. And uh, we desire to walk in your ways, to experience the fullness of your blessing. So, Lord, I just pray as I preach uh, you'd speak to me, speak to our uh, congregation, uh, and pray for your blessing. In your name, Jesus. Amen. 
If you've got a Bible, uh, why don't you open it to Matthew uh, chapter 19. And uh, I want to just, this is a familiar passage uh, for many. Uh, but I, before reading it, I want to uh, explain the backdrop because I think uh, explaining the backdrop uh, will be insightful into the answers that Jesus is giving. Uh, the backdrop of the story is you have uh, Pharisees, <clears throat> which are uh, Jewish scholars of the day, and they are trying to, as is often the case, uh, catch Jesus out or trip him up or uh, come up with something that's been very complex for their lifestyle, uh, for their rules and regulations. And uh, either they find something that's sort of vague or contradictory, or there's so many rules around it that you can't, uh, you know, figure it out. And they, they're trying to trap Jesus. They, and so that's the setup for this, this verse, uh, this section. Uh, the other challenge, <laughs> excuse me, is a background here, is you've had a very wonderful, well-recognized uh, Jewish uh, scholar, you know, one of those that just sort of raised to the top that uh, most uh, teachers in the Jewish uh, law are looking to, and he was just before Jesus' time, and he's been quoted and recognized, and there's much written about him, and this would be Rabbi Hillel. And uh, Rabbi Hillel uh, was trying to, <coughs> excuse me, explain uh, how to result, how to uh, handle divorce, and when you could, what's the right circumstances for divorce, uh, by looking at the Old Testament. And the, there's one particularly troubling uh, verse which the Pharisees are now uh, have in mind that they're thinking about that they questioning Jesus on. And so the setup is. Uh, this verse, which is Deuteronomy 24.1. Uh, Deuteronomy 24.1 uh, says this. <clears throat> Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. And the emphasis is discovering something wrong with her. Now, that something, as interpreted by Rabbi Hillel and by the tradition, was basically anything. Like, I don't like the food that you prepared for me. Uh, I don't like the way you're dressing. I don't like the way you're keeping the house. In fact, I just don't like you anymore. Uh, anything was the basic reason. and. Uh, so, as you can imagine, uh, Jesus has preached. He's preached the Sermon on the Mount. He's preached about uh, just looking at a woman lustfully. It's like adultery. And uh, so, we have the backdrop of this conversation with Jesus. Uh, picking it up here, this is Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, let me just give you a heads up. Jesus answers this in a masterful way. Uh, and there's something that we can all learn from this. 
uh, often uh, people will come to me or come to you and they say, I just want an answer. Just make it clear. It's just black and white. Uh, just don't give me a run around. Don't, you know, just give me a black and white answer. And uh, I just know from experience that life isn't always black and white. There's lots of, like, gray. Uh, there's no one circumstance which meets everybody's life situation. Uh, and when people are pressing for, well, a black and white answer, often it's they acting like Pharisees. They're saying, well, here are all the rules. Here's the whole slew of rules, and help me apply them. When is it in and when is it out? When is it right? When is it wrong? And, you know, and when it comes to marital squabbles and issues and divorce and whatever, it's complex. It's not, like, real easy. And so what Jesus does is he doesn't directly answer the question. Instead of going to what the rules are, he goes to what's the principle? What's the big picture? What should you be looking at? Where's the hope come from? Where's the, what do you draw from? And so Jesus answered this way. Haven't you read the scriptures? And clearly the Pharisees are saying, yes, Deuteronomy. And Jesus is like, no, we're not going to Deuteronomy. You've missed it. We go to Genesis, as is often the case. We go back to Genesis. Uh, Genesis has a disproportionately big influence on our lives and on the rest of the Bible. Uh, and Jesus says, They record that from the, big, from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, since they are no longer two, but one. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. Okay, so Pharisees <laughs> say, what about divorce? And you say, well, no, let's not talk about divorce. Let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about God's intentional plan. Let's talk about the goodness of God and how great it is to be joined together and to be married and to leave your parents, to start a new marriage. Like, no, but I just, I'm sick of my wife. And, you know, she just doesn't get it. No, I just want a divorce. And they just, you know, give me the reasons and the rules. And, and so they don't like that answer. Then uh, why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? Jesus answers, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife uh, has been unfaithful. Now, here's the challenge. Uh, people ask, okay, so what's the grounds for divorce in a church? And uh, the church's response has been confusing. Uh, for some quoting this verse would say, the only grounds for divorce is adultery. If there's been adultery, uh, you can get divorced. Uh, others would be preaching, and there's some contemporary preachers at the moment preaching this uh, stance, which would say you cannot get divorced under any circumstances. 
It doesn't matter what the fact pattern is. God hates divorce. There is no, there's no place for divorce. And then you would have, say, the Catholic tradition. And uh, for many, that would just be uh, difficult to uh, understand or comprehend because, you know, to get your divorce annulled, you have to uh, appear before a, a Catholic court and they decide whether to annul it or not. And, and people say, well, I'm an independent person. I don't want to have to care what somebody else's court is deciding. Just I'm going to do what I want to do. Uh, and, you know, then the Catholic tradition, as many of you know, say, look, you, you need to uh, do this. If you don't, we, we withhold communion from you. And, uh, you know, and so there's just a confusing array. And people come in here at our church and say, well, how do you deal with it? Can I take communion? Can I even come to this church being divorced? And, and then there's the other side that uh, people say, okay, I know uh, the Bible frowns upon divorce. And, uh, and, but I'm going to get divorced anyway. I don't care what the Bible says. My life's miserable. And also love Jesus, and uh, you know what? Okay, so my church community is going to frown upon it uh, because clearly I'm in the wrong, so I'll just go to another church community. They don't know my whole background. Uh, when you come to church, I don't have an inquisition at the front door asking about your background and, and what do you do or don't do with divorce. We just welcome you and accept you. And so, you know, somebody goes to another church and carries on. Just uh, there's no uh, check and balance because we don't do, you know, background studies on people. And so... Uh, dealing with divorce has, has become a, a challenge. Uh, there's also another side of divorce, which is outside of the, you know, uh, scripture, which is people have contracts, especially uh, other countries and in Jewish tradition. Uh, so you'd have a contract would be classic contract would be okay as a husband and wife. The husband you're going to provide financially. Uh, there's going to be no adultery, and uh, you're not going to abandon me. And if you do any of those things, we're going to get divorced as a contract, not as, uh, not as scripture. And so when one of those things fail, then people, uh, you know, uh, get divorced. Uh, but here's another, here's something to consider. Uh, what about, you know, dealing with some real situations in life, there are times uh, where I would strongly recommend that somebody gets divorced uh, or at, a, at least separate. And that is when there's like real safety issues at hand, where there's violence, where the kids are at high risk. Uh, I do not think it's prudent just staying together because you... Uh, you know, have some false understanding of uh, of biblical teaching. Uh, if it's unsafe, uh, you need to get out. You need to separate. You need to be safe. Uh, and safety is kind of like a broad category. Uh, if you say, okay, no, wait, Robert, I, I totally disagree. Uh, the only grounds for Divorce is going to be adultery. Well, let me tell you how people have responded to that. Uh, these are Bible people. These are people saying, okay, I, I get that. Oh, well, okay, so the only grounds for divorce is adultery. Well, I'm unhappy in my marriage. And you know what? Uh, I saw my husband uh, looking at pornography. 
Well, doesn't God, Jesus say that, uh, you know, if you look at a woman lustfully, it's like adultery? Well, that's as good as adultery and I'm out of here. Or the husband says, you know, I knew my wife had some emotional attachment at the workplace. Uh, nothing actually physical happened, but there's this emotional attachment. And isn't Jesus saying, you know, what you do with your eyes depicts what's happening in your heart, and there's a sense of betrayal here. And I mean, that's like divorce, you know, that's like adultery. So it wasn't actual adultery, but with my eyes and with my thoughts, it's, it amounts to adultery. So adultery, you know, it's my get out of jail free card. I, I've figured it out. And, you know, you start looking at when you make rules and regulations, uh, well, you can find exceptions to them. And now you're starting to argue about, well, Jesus didn't mean this. Uh, you know, looking lustfully with your eyes is adultery. And uh, it just gets really messy. Uh, another thought here. Do you know that God divorced? Just think of this for a second. Do you know that God divorced? God divorced his people. God, you know, when he gave the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, it was like a wedding ceremony, a covenant. And what the people did was they were unfaithful. They deserted. They became like adulterers. And, and God divorced them. Uh, let me just read a, a couple of texts here. You could read the whole of Hosea, but Hosea uh, uh, 2, 2. But now bring charges against Israel. This is God talking to his, his prophet, to his people. Bring charges against Israel, for she is no longer my wife. And I am no longer her husband. In Jeremiah 3.8, she, this is Judah, saw that I divorced faithless Israel because of her adultery. And how did they uh, commit adultery? By worshiping other gods. But that treacherous sister, Judah, had no fear. And now she too has left me and given herself to prostitution. And so what does God do? He divorces, he abandons his people because of what they've done, because they've abandoned him. But God is always a God of like hope. Uh, you know, he says, I'm going to let my people uh, have what uh, they wanted. It's going to be disastrous. If you walk out of God's ways, what you think is going to be freedom is going to be enslavement. And as you know, the story of God's people, Israel and Judah, they went into slavery. And when they were in slavery, finally, you know, the light comes on and says, well, you know, the way we were doing life wasn't so good. We need to get back to Jesus or back to God and do it God's ways. And so they did. And God is like, finally, I welcome you back. Uh, come on, come on in. Let me finish up here quickly with uh, how do good marriages get happier? How do good marriages get happier? Well, in this particular study, they put it in three categories of bad marriages. They said when bad things happen to good spouses was one category. 
Another category was when men behave badly. And a third category was uh, communication difficulties and personality traits. So in the first situation, they said, look, when bad things happen to good spouses, uh, examples of that would be they've got a kid, the kid starts taking drugs, they're in heroin, and the parents are really battling to understand how to deal with the kid. And uh, there's a lot of fighting and, and turmoil between the parents as to how to respond. But the good news was this. Uh, in this particular study, they said, you know, we just outweighed the problem. It took 10 years. But by just staying with the program, uh, they eventually, you know, the kid grew up or was on their own, and the parents uh, found that, okay, we just outweighed the problem. Uh, another bad thing that can happen to good spouses was somebody got uh, fired and they couldn't find another job and then they got depressed and and because they were depressed and whatever the, the marriage was hurting and again they just waited finally they got a job and finally the depression lifted and they just outlasted the problem and uh, there was hope uh, men behaving badly uh, fell into the category of you know uh, we had a, a kid, we've just uh, had a new infant, and the demands on the wife were huge, and the, the dad is like, you know what, I'm not going to pick up the, any load at home, I'm just going to uh, continue to do all the sporting things I did, and I'm going to have the you know, boys night out, and I'm going to be away, and I'm going to, in fact, even join other good social organizations, and the mom is just left uh, to try and figure this out on her own. And uh, there was a lot of tension. But again, eventually, just sticking with it, not divorcing, they got through. And uh, likewise, with uh, some of the difficult uh, personality traits, uh, sometimes what they found is, yeah, my spouse is like really, you know, off the wall, but I just got to learn to live with it. And there's a sense that living together is better than splitting up. I actually like them as a friend and as a partner. Uh, so let me just end uh, here with that and say, you know, there's always hope in God. If we walk within his ways, in his light, on his path, it's a life of happiness and of blessing. It doesn't mean that it's easy. And if you've walked off his path, God is a God, just like in the Old Testament, where he, you know, dismissed his people. He's always welcoming us back. He's always offering us forgiveness. He's always offering us the help of his Holy Spirit to empower us, to get us through to equip us. God is a loving God. He's a caring God. God's plan is a plan for marriage. God's plan is a plan for uh, good relationships, for rewarding relationships. Uh, and it behooves us to try and figure God out and try and figure relationships out, as difficult as that might be. Uh, let me just end in prayer. Uh, Jesus, I just lift up, uh, you know, those that have struggled or are struggling uh, in their life because of divorce or the thought of divorce. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, for hope. Hope that only you can give and bring. And Lord, you are a merciful God. And Jesus, just as you pointed us to uh, Adam and Eve and to creation and to the Genesis and to what should be right and what's ideal, Lord, we just uh, ask you what seems so messy in our lives and so confusing and so complex, uh, you would help us to see the simple solution. And often that's just coming to you with what we got, with the mess that we've made or we find ourselves in. We just come to you. And Jesus, I just pray for your people. 
Lord, that you would give them practical, helpful ways of overcoming whatever predicament they find themselves in. So, Lord, I just lift up your people today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Why don't we have the worship team coming up and close us out. And uh, uh, Helen, I think you, you're going to share with us this morning. Uh, where's Helen Bonet? You're here. Why don't you come up and share with us as the worship team are coming up. There we go. Thank you. Helen uh, was doing prayer this morning. We asked God uh, what he might be saying uh, to us, and this might apply to only one person today, but if that's you, uh, I encourage you to respond. Uh, we had a wonderful time of prayer this morning. Uh, we had this picture of Jesus making a place to rest, a place to sit with him, maybe put your head in his lap, and just rest in him. And uh, we got a couple of scriptures, Psalm 103, which is, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget none of his benefits. And Joel 2, verses 23 through 29. And I'm not going to quote all of that or read all of that. But the idea was that this resting in Jesus' lap and letting him comfort you and really restore you um, when, when something like this with the verses, that as you rest in him, trust him, he's going to provide for you. He's going to um, give you vindication and cleansing. He's going to, as you're remembering and praising him for all the, the things that he's done in the past for you, he's going to bring restoration to you. That mm -hmm. verse in Joel where it says, He's going to restore all the years that the locusts have eaten. So if, if you're recovering from divorce, if your parents have been divorced or are divorcing, if, if you're somebody who, who's just been divorced and you need to rest in God, God is telling you, he's inviting you to do that. And he's going to give you restoration and refreshment and, and vindication and blessing. And all of us need that no matter where you are. Jesus, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would indeed be the wind in our sails. Lord, that you'd move us on and forward, that you'd give us hope and direction. Lord, I just pray for your people. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Bless you, folks. Have a great uh, week. If you'd like prayer, uh, I encourage you to come forward. If, you, if this message is resonating with you, uh, you know, come and get somebody to at least pray for you. Uh, obviously, we have counselors, uh, you know, you can meet with, with people and talk later. But for now, if you'd like prayer, come on up and uh, receive some prayer. Bless you.